Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This episode of The Hash is sponsored by Bitstamp and the Galaxy Brains podcast. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world, all on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hello, welcome to Coindesk TV. You are watching The Hash, and we are glad that you are here. I'm Zach Seward. That's Will Foxley, Jensen Assey. We're the regulars. And then we have a special guest star, Danny Nelson, here with us today on a Friday to chop hey it up. Boy with the game. Lovely All right, here. we're going to talk feeling about SBF to start. Good. He had a court hearing yesterday, and he was released to his folks' place. And Jenny, wow, Jenny, Jen, you are going to update us on <laughs> Jenny. that. Jenny. Jenny, I Danny, like Danny, Jenny. <laughs> Jenny. I kind of like it too. We're going into Jenny. 2023. You got it. Go. Jenny. All right. Okay, Sam Bankman-Fried was released on $250 million bail that was secured by his parents' home equity. He's going to be living with his parents in Northern California. The requirements of his bail are, he's not allowed to make financial transactions for more than $1,000. He cannot open any new lines of credit. He can't leave his house except to exercise. And he must go through substance abuse and mental health treatment. One more thing to note, he still has to secure signatures of at least two other individuals with a considerable means of whom cannot be a part of his family by January 5th. So he's going to be looking for two more signatures over the Christmas holidays. Zach, what, what do you make of this? We thought that Sam Bankman fried was going for extradition to get out on bail, and it seems like that has come true. Yeah, it worked. It sounded nice. I think there was a lot of misinformation out there on Twitter yesterday. It's not like Sam Bankman fried walked up and plunked $250 million on the table and said, okay, cool, I'm done. What happened here, which is pretty crazy if you look into it, this is a personal recognizance bond where Sam Beckman Fried's parents put up the collateral in their Bay Area home, rumored to be about worth $4 million. But that was the only collateral that was posted. Uh, basically, what happens is he has to say, on, he solemnly swears that, hey, if I skip town, I owe you guys $250 million, and these other folks are going to be on the hook. Well, I'll pick it I up from there. I think there's some interesting CNBC reporting as well. Uh, regarding this whole situation, which caused a little bit of confusion. According to CNBC, which I believe posted this report first, saying that the, the house was indeed on the list for collateral, 
But there's other collateral as well, including some people who have signed up saying that they would be willing to uh, put funds on the line. The question was like, who are those people? And was that reporting accurate? So I think a lot of people are confused by that. Uh, some other takes, which Zach was just mentioning there, was that people thought Sam McMahon-Free was now like free to go, but that's not exactly how bail or bonds work at all. Uh, Danny, I want to get your take on this story, however, since it is a pretty interesting development. I mean, he got out of Bahamas. You know, he wasn't allowed bail in Bahamas, but he got out of it. Now he's in the U.S. and he can go back to California and live out of his parents' basement. Well, you know, it, this is definitely a best case scenario for him, all things considered, with the collapse of his capos that have turned on him uh, and uh, ratted to the feds. Uh, you know, he's not really looking at anything too promising in terms of how the legal system will shake out for him. So getting out on bail, being able to go to your parents' house, that's a pretty good situation for him to be in. And it does, you know, he didn't have to post $250 million. He had to post, I believe, around $25 million or equivalent. That just goes to show it pays to be rich, right? Like if you have access to means or if you are from means, if you have means yourself, you can, you can make the legal system work for you to a certain extent. And that's what we're seeing here, even though Sam has said before he was arrested, of course, that he only had personally about $100,000 left at the bank. Yeah, Danny, that was exactly my take, that it pays to be rich. And here is a prime example of that. The judge said that the monitoring device alleviates fears of him going anywhere and that he's not a threat to anyone, given that he can't start a business or move any money. The interesting part of this article for me, though, was uh, so Caroline Ellison, the former CEO of Alameda Research and co-founder of FTX, Gary Wang, uh, settled with the SEC and CFTC. And in that settlement, FTT is listed as a security. I think that that is super interesting. And we're going to see some kind of precedent possibly set out of this case when it comes to exchange tokens. And I don't know if that is fair or not. Will, what do you think? Jen, you're zagging away from the story here. We're not talking about FTT or securities. We're talking about <laughs> SBF living in his parents' basement back in California, going to be on Twitter spaces here in a week again. I'm looking forward to that. Now, of course, we should bring up some more information pertaining to the security stuff that came up. It is interesting to see FTT listed securities. And I think a lot of people, especially on Twitter.com, were talking about that yesterday saying like, hey, if FTT is a security, why isn't BNB a security or any of these other exchange tokens or any other token that's out there besides Bitcoin, Ethereum, and USDC, which is the tokens that we've really seen uh, the CFTC has come out and said that they are commodities. So yes, there's some interesting things for the crypto community to pay attention to within this documentation because the SEC and the CFTC are going after FTX. And within that, they have to make arguments against uh, the tokens and the things on their balance sheet. So definitely something to watch there. I think we might get Zach back. I mean, this is this huge, crazy winter storm. Took out a few of us. Zach, you there, buddy? We're missing you. We're missing you. Woo-hoo. Oh, look at that. It's a Christmas miracle. Yeah. Can't stop me. I'm back, baby. Mm-hmm. Are we still talking mm-hmm. about SPF? I'm oh, here yeah. for you. We saved your take for you. This. Let's go. Who said the yeah. best part? Who had the best take? I just want to recap. Who had the best Danny. take here? Spiciest take. What did Danny. Danny say? I stole, Danny, well, I stole take? Jenny's take. I'm sorry, Jen's take. So, you know, that's, what, that's, what, that's the vibe right now. <laughs> Damn. All right. Well, I can't top that. Sweet We're just going to ride this one out into the next story. So you guys take it away. I don't know what was said. I don't want to be redundant. And if I get frozen again, I'm literally frozen in a snowstorm. So anyway, bear with me. Thanks. It's okay. I got the next story. So I will snag it. But first, we got to go to the old history corner 
and take a look at SBF's bail bond, how does it stack up against all the other fraudsters and notorious criminals in U.S. history? Let's go to that really quickly. And now, Will's History Corner with Will Foxley. That's always nice. That's always a nice little swipe we got for you guys here. Okay, so according to an FTX judge, we have about uh, we have some worries about the four hundred fifty million dollars uh, worth of capital that is tied up in uh, Sam Bankman Fried's investments across different various entities. Uh, there's been some concerns over these Robinhood shares, about four hundred fifty million dollars worth of them, and a few different people, including SBF, want them to pay for legal bills or just to claw back funds to creditors. And right now, there's a debate going on who's going to get this. This is just part of the messy process of Chapter 11, right? We have three different entities, or even more than that, FTX US, FTX itself, and Alameda, and they all want to claw back some funds, and the SBF also wants some of his funds. Zach, I'm going to throw this story over to you, get your take on it. If you're still here, throw it up to you, get your take on these Robinhood shares, which are still outstanding. Yeah, these seem to be the the prize, the the jewel of FTX in shambles. This is the one asset that everybody wants. And so I guess they're trying to guard it to the best of their ability. I don't have anything particularly insightful here. This to me is, again, one of those procedural things that we're going to see unfold over these next months as, you know, John J. Ray and the the liquidators and the courts go to battle over how to make people whole. And we'll see what happens. But this to me seems like the one thing that isn't like fake coins that don't have value because they're too illiquid to actually be turned into money. Like this may be the one thing that they see as, okay, we can use this asset to get us out of the hole that we're in, at least in part. So to me, that's the big story here. I don't know if there's anything uh, beyond that to share, but I'll throw it to Jen for her thoughts. Yeah. So the three entities that have filed was BlockFi, SBF himself, and then another creditor, BlockFi filed the lawsuit at the end of last month saying that the shares were allegedly pledged as collateral for the loans that they gave to Alameda Research. And SBF says that he needs the money for his legal fees. And so when I read that, I actually made a little show note that said, like, shut the F up, SBF. You don't get this money for your legal fees. Like, get out of here. That's the worst argument that I have heard. And that is my only take on this. Will? Yeah, I'll sign it really quick and then give it up to Danny. I think the BlockFi angle here is really interesting. I also think it's interesting to think about what SBS playbook was, right? We have all the documentation about Caroline's testimony and Gary Wing's testimony. And from their testimony to uh, the Southern District of New York, it looks like this was a grand master plan by SBF, right? Like all the information in there about uh, moving the price of FTT token, the backdoor from Alameda to FTX. And then you see this way of like, divesting out of the business and into these Robinhood shares, which Robinhood is an upstanding business, you start to think like maybe there was like a bigger plan here that SBF was trying to funnel all his funds into something that was like more legitimate. And now that the whole plan is collapsing in itself, that money is still partially there. So who's to say what's going to occur with these Robinhood shares, but they're definitely going to be something that all the creditors are going to try to snag because it's a real investment with uh, worth actual USD. Danny, what's your take on the story? Yeah, I just can't get over the fact that, like, as we said earlier, in the ashes of this empire, the only thing that's worth a damn left are the shares in what was basically a competitor to FTX. Robinhood is the everything investment app. FTX wanted to become that. Sam took out, bought this big stake in Robinhood. At the time, I remember the, uh, the hash you guys talked about if he was going to try to buy the whole thing. Now we fast forward, it turns out that he was a fraud and 
everyone who's left picking up the pieces of whatever FTX and Alameda was want a piece of the only thing left that's valuable. So, you know, I guess if, you know, if you have to decide between tokens or equity, you got to just go for the equity. I'll take the illiquid S coins for 5 billion, please. I don't know what you're talking about, Danny. Come on. What is this? Real assets. Get out of here with that trash. Times are tough, particularly for crypto. But Bitstamp's different. Bitstamp is the longest running crypto exchange and among the most regulated in the world, which includes a bit license in New York and a payment institution license in Europe. And when it comes to your funds, with Bitstamp, your crypto belongs to you. All your fiat and crypto are kept 100% separated. It's why Crypto Compare ranked Bitstamp the number one crypto exchange, awarding them the highest possible AA rating. Learn more at bitstamp.net. Hey, Will Foxley here, co-host of The Hash. One thing we can take away from everything going on in crypto right now is that it's important to go deep and verify. Crypto Twitter is great, but 280 characters can only go so far. One podcast we love is Galaxy Brains. Here's the host, Alex Thorne, head of research at Galaxy Digital. Thanks, Will. For in-depth takes and probing analysis on topics, trends, and events across the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency ecosystem, check out Galaxy Brains, our weekly podcast. Find Galaxy Brains on your favorite podcast app and on galaxy.com forward slash research. Presented to you by one of the most trusted teams in the industry. Hey, let's talk about the SEC. They are still grumpy about crypto stuff out here, <laughs> fudding auditors who are trying to produce accurate proof of reserves for crypto exchanges worldwide. Now, this is something that I think has been uh, growing in momentum across the crypto community. People saying, hey, we need proof of reserves. If we have proof of reserves enabled by blockchain technology, therefore, we might be able to protect customers from entering into dodgy exchange relationships that have burned so many in the last year. So the SEC not having that. They're out here saying stuff that just uh, could create some, uh, some additional confusion around the proof of reserves conversation. And I think we can have a fun one discussing this little piece of news as first reported by the Wall Street Journal. Will, I'm going to toss it to you. Uh, again, crypto boosters are saying proof of reserves could do a lot of help. SEC saying, don't trust them, they're sus. What are you thinking? You're kind of revealing you're a dork there, Zach, by saying that this is an interesting subject to you. We're talking about auditing, man. It's kind of boring stuff. That's okay. Sexy. We love it's the you most still. important thing. It is important, but it's not sexy. It's, it's, it's not that sexy. I'm sorry. It's what happens when you let someone on the important. show with a backwards hat. Yep, it is. Frat boy is out just for the holiday weekend. <laughs> uh, just go into the report a little bit, though. This is important because there have been a lot of exchanges on the heels of FTX's collapse saying, hey, we're fine. We're solvent. And this is an industry that's built on the idea of don't trust, verify. And a lot of these exchanges are not taking that to heart. And they're just sort of mimicking it with a lot of PR stuff saying, you can trust me, you can trust me until they're blue in the face. And we don't know if we can trust you, right? That's the whole thing with FTX is we thought we could trust Sam. We thought we could trust FTX. They rolled out the red carpet to lost celebrities. Their name was everywhere. Everyone trusted them. In fact, in the days leading up FTX's collapse, there was a lot of tweets from prominent people in the space, prominent researchers who said that FTX was solvent. You know, 24, 48 hours later, everyone's reputation was on the line and in ruins and FTX was gone. It was not solvent. And a lot of these exchanges are trying to roll out this proof of reserves, which is a scheme to show, hey, I have assets and liabilities that match each other correctly, and we are not going to run out of business or we're not going to be insolvent. But a lot of these proof of reserves are not done correctly. 
in the first place. And then there's also questions around the idea of proof of reserves. Just because you say that you have a proof of reserve scheme doesn't mean it matches your business model. And doesn't mean that you're actually taking into account all your liabilities. Because a lot of liabilities are frankly off chain. They're handshake deals. And we don't really know where those things are leading to, right? So you need to have a little bit more work there. That's where auditors come in, especially big four auditors. And these guys, they don't want to work with the crypto industry because I think they've seen too much going on. That's according to the Wall Street Journal reporting. There was a lot of money in crypto last year. So I think that brought in some auditing firms. But right now, I think they'd rather uh, hold their nose and stand a few feet back. Jen, I'll throw it over to you. Yeah, I think this makes sense as to why the audit firm that was working with Binance has kind of taken a few steps back and said, we're actually not working with any crypto firms anymore. I wanted to zero in on this quote in the article by the SEC's chief accountant, Paul Munter. He said, investors should not place too much confidence in the mere fact the company says it's got proof of reserves from an audit firm. He added, it's not enough information for an investor to assess whether the company has sufficient assets to cover its liabilities. So the SEC goes on to say that they're finding troubling patterns. And if they see these troubling patterns, they may act with enforcement. But I think that this is just the perfect time for the SEC to create some frameworks, create some regulation that is understandable. I think that everyone is in agreement that the centralized exchanges should be regulated. So instead of the SEC going out there and scaring investors and scaring consumers and saying, these reports may not be correct. You don't understand them. So stay away from crypto. I would much rather see them saying, here's the problem. And here is how we are going to fix it with regulation. Wouldn't that be so nice? Zach? Yeah, they're scaring away the audit firms. I mean, I think I think I agree with you, Jen. I think in an ideal world, they'd be working with some of these big four auditing uh, outfits to figure out how to do proof of reserves accurately, right? How to audit the books of crypto companies, whether they're stablecoin issuers, exchanges, you name it. And instead, they're just out here sounding the alarm, furthering sort of the reputational risk that some of these audit firms have to undertake to work with crypto clients. And I think it really is sort of a dereliction of duty if you're talking about the SEC, which is out here to protect investors. And they're saying, oh, actually, like, no, we shouldn't be working with the audit sector to figure out a way to prove this stuff out in a way that does protect investors so that they don't have to rely on you know, MLB or the Miami Heat, these uh, marketing relationships that were designed to engender trust among a mainstream audience. I mean, that's been articulated uh, publicly by FTX US CEO at the time, Brett Harrison, back at Consensus last year in conversation with me on stage. That's the point of these marketing deals is to make the appearance of trust and due diligence uh, to, to sort of emit that out into the marketplace. But I think what the industry needs is, again, these proof reserves, these audits to work. And what the SEC is doing here is not increasing the likelihood of those happening in a meaningful way. Danny, I know we were talking to a guy the other day at an audit firm, like, what are they saying? What's the word from the accounting sector about why they're not going to touch crypto with a 10-foot pole? Well, for the accounting sector, it's simply just too big a risk. There's not so much reward for one more client, and the risk of something going wrong is way too high. Like we've seen for Armanino, the firm that was auditing FTX US, I believe. Well, FTX US and FTX have gone down in shambles. And uh, what's the auditing industry left with? Well, someone with a lot of egg on their face. So at this point in the market cycle for these firms, it's just not worth the gamble. And I, I got to say, I will actually come to the defense of Gary the Grinch uh, Gensler on this one. I think that the f I agree with you, Jen, we do need to have more comprehensive regulations and more clear frameworks around how to audit uh, exchanges reserves so that there can be trust. It's obvious right now that there isn't trust. And the first step for the SEC in that process is going to be saying, hey, investors, 
there isn't trust in these reports. So, you know, right now it's a, a spook season. We'll see what happens down the line, but I'm hopeful that when we come out on the other side, if we do, that is, uh, we'll see more comprehensive frameworks that actually allow investors to have some sort of standardized way of trusting that exchanges have the money that they say they do. I like that. That'd be a nice little Christmas gift. Amen, dude. It'll, we'll Gary, probably have to wait till Grinch. at least next Christmas for that one. Next, we'll it's see. okay. I'll, I'm waiting. <laughs> all right, let's change gears. Danny, introduce your story. You had a nice scoop yesterday. Tell us what it's all about. Go. Absolutely. So uh, yesterday I reported that Justin Sun, uh, the co-founder of Tron and his excellency, the uh, uh, diplomat for Granada, is the secret whale at Valkyrie Investments. Justin Sun is an investor in Valkyrie, which is sort of a Wall Street facing crypto investments company. But what, what isn't known to the public is that so much of Valkyrie's AUM is just Justin Sun. And that's, you know, an issue for some people. If they look at Valkyrie, they think, oh, well, this is a big business with $600 million in AUM. Well, where's that money actually coming from? Mostly just one guy, Justin Sun. Zach, I'll start with you. How do you think about this news? I mean, crypto is a whale's game and we're just here minnows amongst the big dogs. And Justin Sun is one of them. He's got a lot of money to splash around the space and it would make sense that we park some of that Bitcoin here. It is pretty funny, I think. Well, I think you reported like over 90% of the assets under management at this particular asset manager were from one guy, Justin Sun, in this instance. That is pretty revealing, pretty striking. These are sort of uh, asset managers, like, like there's several in the marketplace, obviously, that sort of seek to lend credence to some of these more uh, long-tail crypto assets, right? There's these trust products around various tokens. And I think it's interesting that a lot of the ones that Valkyrie offered were directly linked to some of uh, Justin Sun's primary, like largest investments, right? With the BTT Trust, the, the TRX Trust, stuff like that. So I think it is pretty funny just to sort of get a, get a picture of you know, what's going on behind the scenes. And you kind of wonder about, you know, where uh, some of these whales, not, not just Justin Sun in this instance, some of the whales in the industry are keeping some of these firms afloat. You kind of wonder if there's uh, other relationships like this that also exist out there uh, in, in the crypto landscape. So that to me, I think was the takeaway for me. But yeah, it was a nice piece, Danny. Good job. And uh, I'll toss it to Will for his thoughts. Yeah, shout out to you, Danny. I, I think there's a few things that are interesting to me from this story. One is that Valkyrie is a longstanding firm in the industry that a lot of people respect. And I think continuing to do that, but you do have questions about their funds in the first place. And you start to ask, like, why are you uh, related to this person? And second of all, the issue of the funds themselves from Justin Soon, who built the Tron blockchain, which was more or less a copy and paste of Ethereum, spun off. Uh, they at one point were marketing it as the Ethereum of China. And now it's basically used as like a casino and gambling hall for a lot of people uh, who want to do that on a blockchain. And that's fine if you're okay with it. But at the same time, Justin Soon has become very rich from that project, right? The ability to move funds all over the place. Uh, he even has gone so far as to uh, work with the Nation Save Granada in order to like safeguard himself from uh, any legal troubles. And, you know, we even have some awesome reporting from a few different publications out there about the relationship of working with Justin Sun at uh, Tron's very troubling uh, publications out there about like his way of treating employees. And so if you look at that in relation, uh, look at the funds in relation to him himself, you start asking some questions, especially since Valkyrie is offering a lot of these products uh, to Americans, right? And so if you're basically moving dollars out of Chinese people's hands who are gambling on the Tron blockchain, and then porting it over to the U.S. 
and moving to citizens who are trying to like actually get a hold of blockchain technology or getting a hold of like uh, tokenized securities products, you start asking yourself questions if that's pretty ethical. And I think that's where this piece really stood out to me. It would be nice to see some more disclosures, I guess, beforehand, but that is what it is. I'll throw it over to you, Jen, for your take. Well, first, I just want to applaud Danny for great journalism. Good job, Danny. That's why we brought you on the show today, to just big you up before the holidays. I think we've just seen a lot of really great journalism that is highlighting the interconnectedness of this industry, right? It's not as transparent as we all like to say it is, but I think that it's great that we're able to highlight it. And as we're in biddle season and as people are building out products, they can see these problems with, with transparency. They can see how opaque the systems are, how whales are controlling so much of this industry and how interconnected everything is and create the DeFi solutions that offer the transparency. And so thank you, Danny, for highlighting this. And I just hope we get more awesome journalism in 2023. It's, it's my, my Christmas gift to the readers and watchers. That's enough mm. ego inflation. You got to watch. We got we to take Danny down a peg or two. All right. We, we, yeah, we please, need enough praise on, on the guy. Ridiculous. Come on. Come on. It's, getting, it's getting to be a bit much. It's enough of that. I'm shutting down the show. It's over. That's it for the show today. For real. Thanks for being here, Danny. Jen, Will, been great as always. One programming note, Coindesk TV is off the air on Monday, back Tuesday. We're going to go celebrate Christmas and then roll into the new year. Feeling refreshed, rejuvenated, hydrated in our lane, unbothered. It's going to be great. Anyway, that's it for the show today. Thanks for being here this week. We hope you're having a good time here toward the end of the year. Stay warm out there. I'm Zach, Will, Jen, Danny. Thanks for being here. Check us out on the podcast network if you so choose. Lots of good stuff over there, including Danny Nelson has a podcast now, right? What's it called, Danny? It's called uh, Carpet Consensus. Go check it out. It's on the podcast network. There you go. All right, that's it for the show today. Happy holidays. Have a great one. See you, everybody. Bye. See you. Bye. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. With Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments. Get started at Chime.com build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Results may vary. See Chime.com for details. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details.